Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One goal to win the title. It's as simple as that. Could it happen? Balotelli. Aguero. Farrell's coming down the straightway and he's going to be attacked by by Deborah Maskell and Mo Farrell's got the double he's the Olympic champion again two to win it's gone through, he's got to go to the keepers end he's got it England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins by the barest of all margins Hello and welcome to episode one of The Barest of Margins with me, Simon Hughes. This is the podcast that explores science, technology and innovation in the quest to give elite athletes and players a marginal performance advantage. My guest this week is John Gloucester, an Australian physio and trainer living in India, who's been part of the Rajasthan Royals support team ever since the IPL was founded in 2008 and is at the cutting edge of nutrition and recovery in sport. He's had a big influence, not just on the Royals, who have made the IPL playoffs for the first time since 2018, but also on Olympic athletes and even on the wider Indian public, especially in the realms of recovery and sleep. He's even persuaded some elite sportsmen to start reading books. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share and give us a review on iTunes. So here's John Gloucester, one of cricket's most advanced thinkers. We've always looked at ourselves as a franchise as the one that's sort of trying to push those boundaries around performance and taking our players uh, to the next level um, and then hopefully taking the game to the next level and not just within cricket but also beyond cricket uh, and, and taking those learnings that we get from cricket into the, into the general population. So data, technology, um, they're all the words that we like to throw around here, but but also it's not just throwing the words around, it's actually using it to make, you know, definitive changes uh, with our athletes. So the, the big things that have sort of come under me and onto, onto our sort of table over the last couple of years has really been around the area of recovery and trying to make more sense of recovery and, and, and looking at the areas of recovery that we think are, are crucial. Because without that, then performance is ultimately going to suffer in the long term. 
So we've really drilled down on some new wearable technologies. Um, and this goes back over the last two or three years. And we, we sort of pioneered the T20 space um, in, in franchise-based cricket with the, with the use of GPS tracking technologies um, when we introduced Catapult four years ago. And, and we've talked, both you and I have talked about, you know, the, the benefits that that gave us in understanding more about why we train the way we train and, and trying to get a better insight into what match scenarios actually play out in terms of data, how they play out in terms of data. And we were really, really surprised by some of the numbers that we're getting, uh, particularly in things like um, total distances covered in a T20 match. We're looking very closely at the amount of time spent in the, in the high sort of uh, what we call high speed velocity bands as well. And, and so that's changed the way that we look at our cricketers. It's certainly changed the way that we train our cricketers. Um, and on the back of these, uh, a greater understanding of, of, of how fast these athletes are actually moving, um, we're now able to compare it to other sports and then learn from other sports around how we should be training for cricket. And I know we've had this conversation before about, you know, should cricketers train like other athletes? And, and given the numbers that we now see coming from the GPS, um, they're not dissimilar to elite level football. Um, they're not dissimilar to AFL football from Australia, Australian rules football. So therefore, it makes sense that we start looking at these other sports for the ways to train for our game, which is what we're doing. So we're now looking at other sports on the back of data in terms of changing the way that we train and therefore prepare our athletes for the, the rigours and vigours of, uh, of T20 modern day cricket. So that was sort of the, the sort of first foray for us into, into wearable technologies. Um, and then we moved into garment technology, uh, particularly for recovery. So uh, bioceramic infused garments to, uh, to capture FIR, fire infrared, and use that as a way to improve sleep, to improve microcirculation, to improve therefore recovery. Um, and that's been a real game changer for us over the last few years. And there's some really good uh, data and science coming out of the US um, around that space as well. Um, the, the, the new sort of introductions that we, again, we look at what are the problem areas that we have in cricket. And one of the problem areas we have is in hydration um, and managing and monitoring hydration uh, across the board. So we use uh, hand, handheld, what we call handheld refractometers now to really closely monitor accurately the hydration status of our athletes. So that was a, a, a game changer for us, I believe. Um, and then the other one um, is being, I know Shane Warne always used to say that sleep was the best medicine. And, and the more that we now understand about sleep, the more and more I believe he was right. And so we really have made an effort over the last year or so to sort of focus more on sleep and as, as an integral part of recovery. And how do we positively um, sort of influence sleep and sleep patterns in our athletes? And, and the, the, the aura ring that we've now, you'll probably see most of us wearing these aura rings technology that's come out of Sweden, which the NBA guys have been using a lot, um, has given an, us an enormous insight into, into sleep, sleep patterns. But most importantly for us is heart rate variability, which is probably the definitive measure of recovery. And because of that, and because the players, the beauty of it, I say, is, is we can now have a conversation with the player around why. 
and why and how important sleep is in this whole sort of recovery uh, sort of conversation that we're having with them. And that's been really, really fantastic. So it's opened the door for them to discover ways that they can positively influence their own uh, outcomes, uh, recovery outcomes. So the, so the aura has been a bit of a breakthrough for us um, mm. in, in players understanding how they can take control of, of their own recovery. Um, the other one that we've sort of looked at uh, a lot closer over the last couple of seasons has been in the visual world. Um, and we've been using the right eye tech, uh, technologies to improve um, the sort of the, not just the vision, but the ability for, for an athlete to, to focus. Um, and that's been really, really uh, a real eye-opener as well. So we're constantly trying to bring new things to the table every season uh, from a technology perspective. But ultimately, understanding that, that the bigger picture here is that it's it's one thing for our athletes to build and grow on the back of these this, but how can this these learnings then go and benefit other people? And you and I know, and uh, around particularly my sort of love for nutrition and 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 the bigger picture around nutrition as well, and how. We need our athletes to take the learnings around nutrition and bring that back, not just to their families, but to the general uh, population as well. Because I think education around that is, is lacking, not just in India, but I think globally now. And how can we have a greater effect um, uh, well, for a greater good of, of, of the general population around the conversation of nutrition? So I'm really excited about bringing some of those conversations to the fore and, and, and believe it or not, the aura ring has given us some really interesting insights around nutrition and its effect on sleep, heart rate variability, heart rates and performance as well. So it's a huge, it's a huge conversation that we're all having now, but uh, you know, Simon, you know that these are all the little things that start adding up to improving overall performance and, and, uh, and they're ultimately therefore results. No, I suppose also, um, engagement with the franchise as well. I mean, if you use players to pass on messages and be ambassadors for certain um, nutrition nutrition regimes or training regimes, that's kind of influencing the, the general population. So, you know, you're going to get more approval as a franchise, I suppose, from that. So it's not all about winning all the time, um, which is kind of... You exactly, you're exactly right. And, you know, what are those agendas that we think are really, really important? Because... Yes, the, the cricket's important and the results are important and the athletes are important, but we need to use this vehicle of not just Rajasthan Royals, but the IPL and, and this form of the game to, to deliver and to deliver sound, solid messaging to the community on the back of good science and good research. Um, and, and I think this is the perfect vehicle to do that. So tell me a, a bit about the, the aura then and, you know, what sort of things has it revealed about nutrition and sleep patterns and so on? Can you give us a little, a little sample? Yeah, it's been fascinating. And, and as I said before, it's been fascinating that the players have really bought into it because they can see very obvious changes in something as simple as what time they eat, for example. So the later you eat or the closer you eat to your going to bed, uh, to your bedtime, um, it, it, it 
it affects negatively two or three things. But the most important thing that it affects negatively is your heart rate variability. Like I said, that's a, a measure of recovery for us. So not only does it negatively affect your heart rate variability, it also negatively affects your heart rate, your resting heart rates itself. So we're talking about levels of excitability of your body. When are you actually really switching your system off and allowing it to fully recover? And so when you see changes in negative changes in heart rate variability, resting heart rates and resting breathing rates, you then see that in, in altered sleep patterns. So we see it in, in the amount of movement uh, that, are, that, that you have at night. We see it in the amount of times that you wake. We also see it in the, in the diminished times that you spent in the, key, in the two key areas of sleep, which is REM sleep and deep sleep, because that's where most recovery takes place. So when we see something as simple as changing a, uh, uh, an eating time and then the positive outcome it has overall on real recovery, which is effective sleep, the athletes, are, uh, they're, they're, they're astonished, actually. So that's only one area. The other area is something like alcohol. Um, and we, we've always talked about the negative effects of alcohol, but we've never really been able to show that. Whereas we can now show that even with one or two drinks before they go to bed, significant negative changes in heart rate variability, marked increases in resting heart rates at night, increased uh, respiratory rates, um, increased temperature fluctuations at night, and, and markedly altered movement patterns in their sleep and, and, and altered uh, sleep timing. Um, uh, durations of, of REM and deep sleep. So when we can, you know, show them objectively this, this type of information, it makes my job a lot easier in delivering these messages of why we tell you to do certain things, not drink before you go to sleep, eat, you know, don't eat under two to three hours before you go to bed, all these um, things we've always known, but we've never had data to actively show to the player this is why we're asking you to do what you do. So that's an, another area. The other one that was really quite interesting was when we train. If you have a heavy training session under sort of one to two hours before going to bed, again, the negative outcomes it has on, 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 on those parameters that we've been mapping. So the players are really buying into this. Um, they come to me every morning and say, Let, let's analyze my sleep. What did I do before I went to bed? Why has that changed? Um, and, and then linking it back to performance and then saying, well, you know, because this is perhaps why you didn't perform so well in that training session or that match scenario uh, the day after that. So they're now really buying into it. And I think these are the, the little things that I always talk about separating yourself from the guy sitting next to you. What are the, these are the true one percenters. And when you've got such talented kids, you know, there's so many of them in the system now. These are the little things that we're trying to educate all our playing group on as to embrace this and you'll continue to separate yourself from the guy sitting next to you. It will pay off for you. So you add up the hydration knowledge, you add up the nutrition knowledge, you add up the, the knowledge around sleep, you add up the, the garments that you wear. Um, and they're the things that are then going to take you uh, away from your peers and separate you positively away from your peers. Just just on the training front, then um, you said that 
you know, the activity, the uh, energy expended and so on is getting closer to uh, uh, Australian rules football or premiership football. So how does that uh, influence training methods or training tactic, uh, training sort of strategies? Significantly. One, two ways. One, in, in it's changed the way that we fuel our athletes. So we look at nutrition um, according to data. And, and both Stefan Jones and myself did a really interesting piece about two years ago on the paper on exactly that. Um, so that's something we've looked at separately. And then look at the training protocols that we use for, say, football versus what we've traditionally been using for cricket. And, and training according to the data. So we now know that, um, you know, for example, a Sanju Samson spends, you know, 1.103 kilometres in the speed band of 25 to 30 kilometres an hour over duration of X number of seconds. Now, unless he's meeting those in his training protocols, then when he gets into a match situation, he's actually not prepared physically for that match situation. So we've got real data to now say, well, we train according to how you do, according to your match data, because that's what we need you to be ready for, the stresses of, of, of a match situation. I don't know whether you know that um, the, the yo-yo test, which, which we, we use a lot in cricket, and there's been a lot of debate around the yo-yo test and the bleep test. You know, is it relevant for cricket? And, and if you'd asked me this question sort of 10 years ago, I would have probably said, no, it's probably not that relevant for cricket because the yo-yo test was actually designed by a guy called Jens Bangsbo, who is a physiologist from Denmark, who was, uh, he played for Denmark himself, an elite-level footballer, even coached, assistant coach of Juventus, um, and probably the world's best exercise physiologist. Well, he designed that test for football. But now that we have data that suggests that the exertions of T20 international cricket and IPL franchise cricket is very, very similar to what we're seeing of, of elite level footballs. So and it makes sense that the yo-yo test be incorporated as not just a, uh, a fitness test, but also perhaps as a training routine. So I've, adopt, I've adopted a, a lot of Jens Bangsbo's training techniques and routines, his high intermittent, uh, high intensity intermittent training stuff that he uses for football, we've adapted into cricket. Um, some of the Australian rules football uh, uh, training uh, scenarios also we've now adapted as well. Because again, if the numbers suggest that the, that the exertions are similar, then we need to learn from other sports. And, and, and why do we look at baseball for, for, for throwing and, and shoulder sort of uh, um, strengthening and, and stability protocols because they're probably the guys that use shoulders more than anybody else. Why do I look at uh, um, water polo for shoulder, uh, for, for ideas around shoulder strengthening and shoulder stability because water polo players, again, probably use their shoulders more than anybody else. So we need to look at other sports and learnings from other sports to try and understand our game better and to improve the performance, but also in, in, in this case, try and reduce injury rates as much as possible. Actually, it's interesting you brought that up because I'm just thinking about those catches over the boundary and the amazing sort of gymnastic positions that players get themselves into, which I know they practice. But yes. uh, is there, uh, you know, two things, I suppose, about that. One is, is there a particular way of training 
for those kind of very acrobatic catches? And also, are there more injuries as a result? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. We are seeing, and if you go back over some of the injury data, we are seeing, because of the nature of the game now, this game, modern game, is built around speed. And so the higher the speed and velocity, therefore, the greater the impact forces when, when you do hit the ground. So, And we're now attempting things that we never attempted before. We're now attempting, uh, and if you watched the game last night, Glenn um, Phillips, the way he attacks the ball, I'm not saying that we haven't done that previously, but the, the volume of those sorts of attacks on the ball are much, much higher now. The speed is much higher, so the impacts are much higher. So the type of injuries we're now seeing are, are again, more similar to things, high-impact injuries that we see rugby, in the high-impact sports, like rugby, rules, football, uh, you know. Mm. So <clears throat> dealing with contusions, dislocations, um, severe bruising, uh, whiplash injuries, all these are now much more relevant, uh, prevalent than, we've, than we saw previously in perhaps when we only played 50 over cricket and test cricket. So the intensity of the game's gone up, the speed of the game's gone up, so therefore injuries are changing mm. significantly. So we do need to train for that. We need to prepare them adequately for that. So being more robust in, in, in our physical training. You have to learn how to slide from a younger age. You've got to learn how to dive from a younger age. We've got to create surfaces and, and environments where, where children and junior players now have confidence in developing those skills because they are an, a, a prerequisite, an absolute requirement for entering this level of the game now. If you don't have those skills, you're going to get left behind very, very quickly. So introducing these types of training methods into the, into the junior programs and the academy-based programs is critical. One, to improve their performance, but also two, to reduce injury risk as they get into the higher levels of the game. So, so that's, that's critical. Mm. And, and then coming back to, from a training perspective, is coming back to the critical things of foundation, building stability, um, building the, the, the building blocks or the foundations of, of, of stability and control is critical. Um, because if you don't have that, you can't develop power. You can't develop that vertical, you know, leap. You can't develop those or well, the ability to, to even get yourself into the positions to take some of those balls or attempt some of those balls. So it's changed the way we train. It's changed the way we look at, at developing our, uh, our kids. Um, and even going back to, you know, if you're dehydrated or you're not uh, correctly uh, nourished, those types of performance are also uh, difficult to attain as well. So I think a lot of these conversations we have come back to training, yes, but what are the building blocks of training? And the building blocks of training come back to nutrition, come, come back to hydration. Um, and, and if we don't get those right, uh, then we're going to struggle to build everything else on top of that. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm just um, thinking about swimming pools and wondering whether you, I mean, my kids and I love playing this game when we're on holiday where, you know, you throw the ball into the middle of the swimming pool and have to dive one-handed and take it just off the water. Can you yeah. use swimming pools for, for, for that kind of acrobatic catching? And we do. And we do. Yeah, uh, we do use swimming pools, not just for recovery and, and training, but we do it to uh, improve skill. Um, traditionally, we've used the bags on the ground and, you know, that's fine. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the things that the guys actually enjoy as well. So it becomes a fun environment to, to train in but also it, it, it's about timing it's about the confidence to put yourself into those positions um, it's like a gymnast when they launch themselves into those foam bags you know they do it because they know they're not going to hurt themselves but they're developing a skill um, so yeah so I agree with you I think swimming pools an incredible environment to train they're an incredible environment to recover it's an incredible social environment as well. And these are all the things you need to include into, into a training environment these days is, is, is not just the physical and, and technical, but also the social side of it and team building side as well. Yeah, look, I've got a, there's a picture I'm sharing with you there. Um, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is in Greece um, yeah. about yeah. a couple of years ago of two of my yeah. boys that both like cricket. I, I think that's, that's a great it's way a of good. training. Yeah, and you'll see our guys doing it here as well. You see them in the pool here doing similar things. Why do we play volleyball in the pool? You know, we play volleyball in the pool. That's not just about having fun. Yeah, that's true. But vertical displacement, the ability to get your body vertical um, from, a, from a relatively unstable uh, base improves, improves the ability to do that on the field. Um, you know, we talk about training for stability, well, you can't train for stability without an unstable environment. You train for stability by being unstable. So try, where can you recreate those environments that are safe, but allow you to, to develop the skill set that you're trying to develop? And, and I've always said the water or the pool is a perfect uh, place to do that. What else can you do? What are you looking at next? What's your next thing that you go, oh, I'd like to, like to try this? I think we need to look closer, and we've dabbled in this a little bit before, is, is, is understanding the player from within, more from within, physiologically, um, and getting them to buy into this whole understanding that, that they are, uh, first and foremost, a human being beyond a cricketer. And this has always been a pet passion of mine, is, is then they then become the educator for everybody else. So looking at blood markers, looking at how they um, respond to certain environments, how they respond to certain foods, how they respond to certain stressors, um, and then extrapolating that 
and taking that back to the real world. Because I still believe that we are the best possible vehicle to deliver this type of messaging to affect a huge change for the good of everybody. It's no use all this information just affecting 100 odd of the best cricketers in the world. We need all this knowledge to go out there and affect 100 million people across the world because we've got some serious issues out there. We've got some serious issues in public health. We've got serious issues in obesity, diabetes, um, in mental health, in, in, you know, and we have the perfect tools at our disposal to, to deliver on that. We well, almost like a now. research environment, aren't you? I suppose you know, like Absolutely. a very high level. We're an R and D environment, and yeah. and there's no use that R and D just being protected to a small to a small cohort. It needs to get out there, and and that's why I'm so passionate about it because I believe we've got the the information, we've got the knowledge now. Now we need a, a vehicle to deliver that sensibly, um, appropriately. Um, to 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 affect bigger you know greater changes. It's it's frightening for me to to know that this generation, my child and my son who's ten, to this is the first generation in the history of mankind that's not going to live as long as the previous generation. Purely on the back of lifestyle and nutrition, two things that we have total control over ourselves if we're given the right knowledge and the right education around that. That's one, you know. That's one side of it. The other side is that, is that, you know, we um, we we studied a few of our athletes about two or three years ago, not just our cricketers, but also some of the Olympians and Paralympians that I work with, and we found that twenty percent, between twenty and twenty-five percent of them, were actually pre-diabetic and didn't know it. This is your, this is the elite of the elite. These are your highest functioning, physical functioning athletes going around. Who are pre-diabetic so you can only imagine what those numbers are like then in the general population and we do know we have a rough snapshot it's around 60 percent in the subcontinent who are pre-diabetic and that's totally reversible with the right knowledge we reversed every single one of those athletes we were, we were able to reverse that pre-diabetes state back to a normal state um, within six to eight weeks just by addressing nutrition so why can't we do that for everybody? So that's my thing. And, you know, the, your aura rings, your glucose monitors, your, you know, your, your understanding of, of, of um, how we function is something that we have a responsibility or my team and my medical team have a responsibility to ensure that that is put out there uh, effectively. It must have been a demanding uh, 18 months for you with the, the COVID thing as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, have you had any kind of, you know, learnings from that, that sort of, that you could share? I don't know, kind of, um, that things that COVID has hastened, perhaps, you know, the perception of. Yeah, I think enormous learnings. And, and that's probably a complete conversation in itself. But I think opening this whole door on onto mental health is probably the greatest one for all of us um, particularly guys who manage these individuals um, and for me that's been the greatest and the greatest learning has been how we need to be more sensitive to our athletes and and our support staff around the whole conversation of mental health and, and coming up with 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 remedies to to ensure that the that we tackle those problems appropriately that was an incredible learning the other one which which was a real opener for me was 
and, and part of the mental health sort of conversation was suddenly, you know, in the midst of lockdown, particularly in India, where six months you, you didn't leave the house, was athletes were suddenly confronted, particularly our cricketers, were suddenly confronted with life after cricket. It was just put into their lap. So, you know, we coined this phrase, you know, welcome to retirement. Um, and asking them the question that, okay, this potentially could be what it's like for you without cricket. What other strategies have you got in place to help beyond cricket? So a lot of them then started taking up other courses, re-educating themselves, looking at different hobbies, um, and seriously contemplating life after cricket. Um, because COVID, at one point, we had no clue when it was going to finish. Um, many athletes' careers finished during COVID because they lost the opportunity to compete at either the Olympics for 2020 or perhaps in a tournament like IPL or some of the franchise-based crickets. And we're suddenly faced with that, with that question, you know. Um, so that was really interesting. So helping them with strategies around that, helping them with, with um, understanding that when you're, pre when you're sort of presented with a scenario like COVID, which was, which was fear, you know, effectively fear, how do we use that to benefit ourselves and our sport? And, and so we, we did do a lot of work on, on strategies around coping with, with those environments, coping with the fear of the unknown, um, taking ourselves out of our comfort zones, all the things that are going to benefit you as an athlete or a sports person beyond, beyond uh, COVID. And, and I was asked uh, pre or during that COVID period um, when the Olympics was postponed, they said, you know, we're going to see some really poor performances perhaps going into the 2021 Olympics now because of lack of preparation. And I said, well, actually, I don't agree with that. I think we're going to see improved performances on the back of the fact we've now had time to focus on the most important component of elite sport, which is the mental side of the game. We always say it's 75% mental or whatever the number is. We spend zero time training for it. We were suddenly presented with a year to train for that exact part of the game, the mental side of the game, and really drill down on it. And, and we did. And, and I, don't, I think it's, it's no coincidence that, that some of the performances, in fact, most of the performances at the Olympics were way beyond expectation. PBs, Olympic records, um, um, world records in every domain, athlete, in, in the pool, on the track, everywhere. And I think that's purely because we had more time to practice the mental side of the game and dealing with that side of the game. So, yeah, there are enormous learnings out of COVID. And, and like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a conversation. Yeah. That's probably so, so, so just one, I mean, just to finish, I mean, is there anything that you've sort of hit on? And I know that everybody's different, but is there anything you've hit on that sort of you think is very good for mental health? I mean, other than sleep. Um, yes, lots. And, and one of them we found was, was actually having something outside of your given sport, having yeah. a distraction outside of cricket. Mm. That, so hobbies. So it's incredible how many of the guys took up things like cooking, reading. Um, we, we, we did focus a lot on reading because... I remember Greg Chappell saying this once, that the best sportsmen in the world are the ones who are able to visualise scenarios better than anybody else. And every single thing we do now is on a screen. 
We don't, we, everything, no one reads anymore. When you read, you have to visualize, you have to create scenarios, you have to imagine situations, you have to build it in your mind. We don't do that anymore because everything is in front of us on a screen. We don't, we, we become extremely lazy at that. And so we encourage a lot of the guys to start reading mm. and therefore start visualizing and start, you know, building pictures, building, building things in their mind. And a lot of them said that, that it was really beneficial for them to then take that into their sport and start, you know, we talk about visualizing scenarios and situations. It's actually very hard to do if you don't have the basic skill in place to do that. So, so just something as simple as reading was something that a lot of them took up, read, and, and, and trying to find creativity in another domain. When you take someone in a COVID situation away from the physical domain, that's, that's the only expression most of them have is physical. Take that away, and and they flounder, they struggle. So we said, let's try and find creativity in another domain for you. And a lot of them found it in the kitchen. Really interesting. Found it in the kitchen. Found it with their families. Found it in in playing games. Found it in reading. Found it in all these other areas that that now they're going to take with them into the post-COVID life and into the bubble life as, as ways to escape. So having something outside of cricket was really, really important. Well, I hope you found that interview with John Gloucester illuminating and perhaps it even made you think about your own approach to nutrition, performance and recovery in whatever you do. Don't forget to give us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed this podcast and mention it to your friends. My next guest is the Irish Olympic marathon runner Stephen Scullion, who has a best marathon time of two hours, nine minutes, just imagine that, and has some fascinating insights into how he structures his training routine to enhance his speed and endurance. Meanwhile, I'm off to read a book. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.